Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Jude. We're going to continue in our study. Jude gives us warnings, right? Gives us warning for the last days. And just by way of review, verse 3, we saw that Jude wanted to, he wanted to write about the gospel. And what he had to do was write a warning, right? He had to remind God's people to earnestly contend for the faith. And the reason why is there are false teachers that are seeking to corrupt the faith. We have to contend for truth because, because there's creeps. Um, you know, look at verse four. I cannot get the page apart. This Bible is childproof. There we go, okay. Uh, in verse four, you see creeps creeping into the church. Certain men crept in unawares. They joined with us, saying that they were with us. They, they, they said whatever they said in order to gain relationship and a platform and trust with us, but it was with the goal of corrupting us. It was the goal of changing us, and so, so we have to contend for the faith. Certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This week we're gonna start seeing some of this condemnation on the ungodly, on those who believe wrong and so they refuse to do right. Don't miss what's in verse four. You've got people who are enjoying the grace of God and other people who are trying to pervert that. They wanna turn the grace of God into to lasciviousness. And the way that that happens is you end up denying God. Uh, scripture gets twisted, it gets explained away, and then there's reasons, right? Reasons for why we're not walking with the Lord any, anymore. And so what happens now is there is a, 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 a removal from this place of grace. Now if you're saved, you're saved by grace through faith. Once you're saved, you're a new creature in Christ, nothing can change that. But you have the capacity to live after the flesh, even as a believer in Jesus Christ. And you can take the grace of God and look at it and say, you know, I'm gonna, my flesh wants what it wants, the way it wants it, when it wants it, how it wants it, with who it wants it with. And so I'm gonna sin and grace will abound. God what? God forbid. This should not be so with God's people. And so the warnings here are really verses five and, and following. We're seeing a warning for the very real potential for a fallen habitation. You can lose the right place that you're supposed to be living in. And so get this down in your notes. False belief, right? A false view of scripture, a false view of the word of God, it's dangerous in that it leads to rebellion against God. And to illustrate this, this warning, Jude draws three parallels to verses three and four. What he told us in verses three and four, he's now going to illustrate. Parallel number one, he gives the example of the generation of Israel that was delivered from captivity. In verse five, Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name, and Lord, we're asking that you would open our understanding Lord, help us to see that there's a very real danger in believing wrong, because we think wrong. 
And if we think wrong, that's gonna mess up our heart and our mind. We'll have wrong attitudes, and out of that will come wrong actions. Lord, help us to see the truth of your word. Help us to see its reality. Help us to see its promises over our life. Lord, don't let us get away with explaining them away. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of encouragement for people who are struggling, who are weak in faith. Let it be a warning to those that that today needs to be a day of repentance for them, a day of rededication of their life to Christ. And so, Lord, open our understanding. Help us to receive your word and glorify you with our lives, we ask in Christ's name, amen. So the, 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 the first example is the generation that's delivered from captivity, the captivity of Egypt. Verse five says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how the, the, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So there were people that he saved and then he destroyed. Why? Okay, now don't forget, false teachers, false teaching, apostasy, leads people to leave faith in God's word and God's promises and go away that's right in their own eyes. And, and what happened with the generation that was delivered from the bondage of Egypt? Well, some people started murmuring against God and Moses. That took root, right? It, it, it caught on and it made a catastrophic mess. So get this down in your notes, okay? This is critical. Believing wrong promotes wrongdoing. If you believe wrong, if you're thinking wrong, how are you gonna live right? So think about this. Here's a, here's a group of people that God saved. They were saved by God, how? I'll tell you how, they were saved by grace through faith. God said go and they did. They followed Moses out of captivity into freedom following the Lord. They left Egypt and God saved them. Keeping the commandments couldn't save them. They were in bondage, right? They could have, every day in their bondage, every day in their captivity they could have kept They didn't have the Ten Commandments yet, but they could have kept the Ten Commandments and that would have done nothing to save them. They were in bondage. So God, what did he do? How did he bring them out? First, don't miss the picture. He puts them under the blood of the lamb, doesn't he? You remember that and the plagues are breaking out and the last plague's gonna be, mm, that's that's gonna be the breaking point and the angel passes by and sees the blood of the lamb over the households of the children of Israel. So they're saved, and now the next thing he does is he separates them to himself. God brings them out and then brought them under the water and provided for them. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse one. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed, all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Okay, well, there it is, man. I, when I get to heaven, this is one of the things. I just, man, I hope that God had the angels recording that in 3D, man. Because uh, that's what I, 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 wanna, I wanna see that. Can you imagine? I mean, there's Israel. They're, they're led out of Egypt and Pharaoh's changed his mind and, and he's coming after them with his armies and there's mountains that they can't pass and the sea is hindering them. And, and how, do they, how do they, what do they do? Pharaoh's coming and you guys know the story, God had Moses raise the rod and the, the, the Red Sea parted and they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Can you imagine walking through a sea on, on dry ground? There's just this mount, this great wall of water on either side of you. You can see whales and fish swimming next to you. I mean, it's just, 
fish pokes his head out like, what's going on here? This is weird gravity right here. And so, you know, yeah, incredible. And then what are they? The Bible says they were under the cloud. So they're, they're, there's water around them. A cloud is made of what? Water. So there's water over them. And that's, this is what 1 Corinthians 10 said. They're baptized unto Moses as they're under the crowd and, and cloud and passing through the sea. God didn't just deliver them. He didn't just separate them to, to himself, but he also provided for them. Look at verse three. And, and did all eat the same spiritual meat? And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Okay, what could God's people ever ask for in terms of more than that? I mean, literally, you saw God himself deliver you with a strong hand. And you can see that God himself is with you. Where's God? Well, look over there. See that cloud? See that pillar of fire? Uh, he's over there somewhere, and, and he's the one that's, we're literally just following him to freedom. We're just following him in life. And, uh, oh, you know, and then he provides for them, right? Christ himself is their provi- provision. What more could you ask for? Verse five, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, to the intent that you wouldn't be tricked into turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So here it is, verse seven. Neither be ye idolaters as, some of the, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And God dealt with them for that. Verse eight. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Verse 11 says, now all these things happened unto them for in samples. They are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Paul is giving the exact same warning to God's people that Jude is. Look, you can follow wrong thinking and it, and it will be to your destruction. Verse 12, therefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape. He never promises that he'll remove temptation from your life. But there's always a way to deny what the flesh wants and follow faith. God makes a way for you. He provides for you. So with the temptation, God makes a way of escape so that you can bear it. Verse 14 says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge you what I say. So here's a group of people that are just supernaturally set apart. I mean, they're saved. They're set apart. They're they're supernaturally provided for. And they ended up, their, 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 their rebellion against God was so strong that the, I mean, the entire adult generation that left Egypt God made sure, he made sure that they died in the wilderness of sin. What happened? Well, get this down in your notes. Beware the mixed multitude. See, God's people were being delivered, but the creeps got wind of that, and they crept in with them. 
And then they were working to get God's people, get their eyes off their Savior and onto their flesh. And as a result, unbelief filled their hearts. You know, people always need, they always have a reason for rebellion. Why? Well, because they listen to the mixed multitude. Exodus chapter 12 and Numbers chapter 11 calls them literally the mixed multitude. Not everyone was with the program. Numbers 11, look at verse four. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. Uh, The promises and provision of God aren't enough. (laughs) We want something better. They fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away and there is nothing at all besides this bread from heaven, this manna before our eyes. The only thing that we have to eat is this bread that Jesus himself baked for us and delivered. Like they're loathing it. Okay, that's kind of how we're wired in the flesh, right? I mean, I'm sure the bread from heaven tasted fine. I'm sure it tasted great. I'm sure it was, I mean, you know how God operates. It was nutritionally complete. Uh, It was food for them in their journey. Anytime you take a trip, you need snacks, right? So you, you, you need strength for the journey. And so there it is. Well, human nature is such that we get bored even with good things. You know, you have the capacity. I gotta tell you, I love ice cream. Uh, Ice cream doesn't necessarily love me, so I eat very little of it. Um, But can I just tell you, I just know me well enough. I could eat ice, uh, like there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I could eat ice cream at every, uh, not just at every meal, for every meal. Okay, eat ice cream for every meal long enough, Same, same, same brand, same flavor. You'll get sick of it, you'll want something else. That's how we're wired in the flesh. But here's the problem, okay? They were despising where God had them, how God was providing for them, how he was leading them, and they wanted the life that they had back in bondage. It's like Paul dealing with the Galatians, oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? I mean, you started out, right, by grace through faith, but now you're following the flesh. What happened to you? How, did you, how were you deceived like that? Oh, well, it's the mixed multitude. See, here's the danger. Unbelief filled their hearts. In Numbers 12 and 13, you guys know the story. They spy out the land, and in Numbers 13, they give the report, and it's an evil report. 10 out of the 12 are like, if we go in there, they will literally consume us. They will make a sandwich out of us. These people are giants. We have no way, no capacity to overthrow them and take the promised land. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, were full of faith. The problem was the congregation was primed by the mixed multitude to believe the, the evil report. And so they, the whole congregation, that whole generation cried out to God. They prayed in unbelief. Look at Numbers 14, verse one. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would God that we had died in this wilderness? I mean, God's leading us, God's providing for us. There's a battle ahead of us, we're scared, and so we just wish we could die. Here's the problem, God heard their prayer and he answered it. 
Skip down to verse 28. God's telling Moses what the answer to prayer is gonna be. Saying to them, as I truly live, or as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. So everyone that was 20 years old or upward, that God saved and separated to himself, that he provided for, that he himself was their provision. They all died in the wilderness of sin. Can you imagine being a upwards to 20 year old? You come out of Egypt and your whole life for 40 years, you're just watching an entire generation just drop like flies. Millions of people just drop like flies by the time it's time to enter into the promised land, you're, six, you're, you're looking at your 60th birthday. You're, you're an old man, you're an old woman when it's time to take the promises of God. And so look at what the Lord says, saying to them, right, your carcasses will fall in the wilderness. Hebrews tells us the root of this problem. God's judging the wicked unbelief of their hearts. Hebrews three, verse eight. Paul, again, to the Hebrew people, gives the exact same warning. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart for they have not known my ways. Again, if you don't believe right, right, if you don't know right, you're not gonna do right. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. So what's the warning for us today? Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. It is wicked to explain away God's word. It's wicked to explain away his promises. An evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Verse 13, man, this ought to be a life verse for all of us. But exhort not one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Right? Every every. Every Sunday you come to this church, man, you you want to turn to your neighbor and encourage them in their faith. You want to warn them over the the, the deception of sin. You want to encourage them. You want to provoke them to love and, and to live out their faith to good works. Exhort one another daily. While it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Like, let's practice right now. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, wake up, shape up. Take the Bible serious. This is real, right? Don't be deceived. Or maybe you turn to your neighbor and you're like, you hard-hearted outfit, humble yourself, okay? I love you. Get right. In Numbers 14, you just keep going. I mean, it just keeps going. You can turn there if you want. In verse 26, God's complaint to Moses and Aaron is how long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? Uh, There's something, I mean verse one said they murmured, or verse two says they murmured against Moses and against Aaron. No, God took it personally. Uh, These are the, they're doing exactly what I told him to do. You're murmuring, no your problem is with me, God says. I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. And then again, you know, there it is, just your carcasses will fall in the wilderness, Caleb and Joshua will come into the land, 
that you despised, your carcasses will fall in this wilderness of sin and, the, and, and look what you've done to your kids. Now your children wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. And then after, right, after the number of days which you've searched the land, even 40 days, each day for a year, shall you bear your iniquities, even 40 years, and you shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed and they shall die. And the men which Moses sent out to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander on the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. They gave the evil report and then they were consumed. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, or Une, uh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. He didn't, the plague didn't consume them. And Moses told these sayings unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. See, here's the problem. They didn't believe that God was really enough. I mean, he saved them, he separated them, he himself was their provision, and now the because I, the living God, am with you, let's go take the promised land. Well, there are giants there. They're they're not just gonna eat our lunch, they're gonna eat us for lunch. (laughs) So wrong belief, right? They didn't really believe that God really was enough, that he really was with them and for them. They didn't believe that God would actually take his promises sincerely. So get this down in your notes, wrong belief always leads to wrong thinking. And that produces wrong attitudes, wrong mentality in your life, and that always results in wrong actions. Wrong belief leads to wrong thinking, which produces wrong attitudes, which results in wrong actions. If you don't think right, you're not gonna be able to do right. This is why it's so critical for us to keep our minds stayed on the Lord and on his word. We need to meditate in his word. We need to hide it in our heart. But if you don't take God at his word, if you don't take him seriously, then you're gonna have reasons and excuses for why you wanna do or why you have to do what you wanna do in the flesh. I know what the Bible says, but let me explain the extenuating circumstances for why I gotta go away that's right in my own eyes. You know, you may think that God weeks at your sin and excuses it, and that may have been true until today, Acts 17, 30. At the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth who? All men, everywhere, to repent. No exceptions. Now remember, verse three, what are the false teachers? What are the, what are the creeps doing? What's the mixed multitude teaching? They're turning the grace of God, the grace of our God, into lasciviousness. Grace will continue, grace will abound, we're gonna continue and send. And so you may think that fornication is just a, a, a super really nice deluxe hug. I mean, what's the big deal? Two consenting adults. First Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. That's what the word of God says. The word of Christ says flee fornication. And then, he, and then God explains it in his word. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, 
which you have of God and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Well, you know, man, I was just, you know, feeling needy and, and, uh, and they were willing and, and, and what harm is there in that? Just two consenting adults finding some solace and satisfaction in one another. Well, here's the problem. If you're born again, if you're a child of God, God himself indwells your heart and life. God through the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ dwells in your heart by faith. He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. And so now you literally, your body becomes the temple, the dwelling place of the Spirit of God, of the Holy Ghost. And, it's, and, it, and it is amazing because your body, your flesh, has a sin nature. That doesn't change when you get saved. It still wants what it wants, the way it wants it, with who it wants it, however it wants it, when it wants it. Okay, so, so that's the flesh. And in your heart, in your life, you've got the Holy Spirit now dwelling. And now you're gonna take the members of the temple of God and join them with the members of someone else? The only way you can do that that's right in the eyes of God himself is through the structure that he provides for it. We call it marriage. One man, one woman, together for life, right? Together for life, glorifying God. Outside of that, what are you doing? You're rebelling and you're grieving the Holy Can you imagine what we put the Holy Ghost through? When we excuse away, we explain away the word of God in our own heart, we, a, a heart, we allow our lives to be filled with this wicked heart of unbelief so that we can do what we wanna do and the whole time we're grieving the Holy Spirit. False teachers in the last days want you to do that. They want you to focus on satisfying your flesh. They want you to do it so you can satisfy your pride. You deserve what you deserve. You should get what you want. 2 Timothy 3, again, same warning. Verse one, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And here's what it looks like. They're not lovers of God, the word of God. They just love themselves. So they don't think right. Well, what do they do? Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God having the form of godliness. There's no reality of godliness in their life. They have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Here it is again, verse six. For of this sort are they which creep into houses. Here are the creeps again. Here's the mixed multitude. Lead, they lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They come in, they explain away the word of God so you can do what you want to do to please the flesh. So what's the warning? For believers, look at Galatians 6, verses seven and eight. The warning is to not be deceived. God is not mocked. How you live your life, what comes out of your life, it's going to produce fruit. 
For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Israel in the wilderness sows to the flesh and it was a corruption unto death, wasn't it? For an entire generation. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Okay, I wanna do that, I wanna sow to the Spirit. So, so how do I do that? How do I, how do I effectively make sure that, that I'm not reaping corruption, I'm reaping life? And Well, Jude gives the solution. Uh, skip down to verses 16 and 17. Again, here's the problem. You've got the mixed multitude. These are murmurers, complainers, the creeps. What are they doing? They're leading God's people to walk after their own lusts. Their mouth is speaking great swelling words. Okay, how do we respond in the face of that threat? How do we keep on track? Verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is always the answer. Remember the words. Remember the word of God. Remember Jesus in his temptation, 40 days, he's been fasting and Satan shows up to try to trip him up. Command these stones be made bread. How does Jesus respond to Satan trying to get Jesus to satisfy the flesh? Well, obviously Jesus was meditating on the book of Deuteronomy at that time because Every time Satan tries to get him to fulfill the lust of his flesh, Jesus responds with, it is written, it is written, it is written, and then the devil leaves off. Okay, so here it is, ministry principle number four. MBT members are accountable to the word of God. You need to know the word of God so you can live the word of God, because if you don't know right, how are you gonna do right? This is why you need to be discipled. This is why you want to be accountable. You want to be in a Bible study. Why? So that you can keep your mind stayed on Jesus. We're to follow God in his word. That's how we walk in the spirit. And if we're walking in the spirit, we're not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. See, if I'm turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, what am I doing? I know what the Bible says, and I know the grace of God over my life for salvation. God's not going to withdraw that. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm his child. I'm his son. But you know, Papa wants what he wants. And so God, understand, God understands I have needs. I have appetites. God understands. So I, so I excuse the word of God. So if I turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, what's going to come out of my life? I'm going to pander to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work to fulfill what I want in the flesh. If I dwell on the lascivious, well then, then the perverse will come out of my life. But if I've got my mind stayed on Jesus, if I'm meditating in his word, on his word day and night, if I'm hiding it in my heart, if every time I come to a, a, a place of temptation where my flesh is like, yo, I got needs, I need them fulfilled, I've got appetites, you gotta, you, you gotta make some room for me, bro, okay. What do I do? Man, I want to declare the name of Jesus, the word of Christ over that, don't I? I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to fall into the trap that I'm, I'm weak and it's hopeless and there's no way I can do what's right. There's no way I can actually live out the word of God in my life because it's just, I'm just too weak. It's just too hopeless. God understands. No, God is with you. He is for you. His promises over your life we can trust him for the reality of it. 
In my, can I just tell you, in my flesh, okay, in terms of who I am in my flesh, it's just as wicked as anybody else in this room. Okay, I'm, I am as good a sinner as anybody in this church. We're all sinners saved by, by the grace of God, right? Thank God for that. But if I make excuses for myself, well then, you know, I'll end up wallowing in sin. And what's there? If I'm following after the flesh, what am I gonna read? Corruption. All there is in the flesh is condemnation. This is why when a believer dies, his body isn't raptured into the presence of the Lord. Because in, in Paul, the Apostle Paul, right in the New Testament, have a big chunk of the New Testament, in Romans chapter seven, O wretched man that I am, he's describing his life in the flesh. All there ever was, all there ever will be is condemnation through the life of the flesh. A believer dies, their body doesn't just rapture up to the third heaven because the wages of sin is death, right? It's separation from God. This is why we will talk sometimes about the believer in Jesus Christ being two-thirds saved, right? My spirit is, is, is joined to God's spirit. My, my soul is now sealed, set apart to the Lord. Uh, my identity is now in Christ, but my flesh, well, it's still a hot mess, and no good thing dwells in it. This is why I have to tell it no when it's crying out for what it wants. Well, I don't have the capacity to do that. I'm weak. I, don't, I can't make my flesh take no for an answer. All I can do is put my, all I can do is remember the words. All I can do is claim the promises of God over my life. And so in the face of temptation, what do I have to do? Oh man, I, what does the Bible say about this? And I need to talk to the Lord Jesus about it. I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to get my praise on. That's what I need to do. I need to, I need to speak the name of Jesus <laughs> over that point of temptation. God, with that temptation, will make a way of escape and I can bear it. That's how it works. Remember the words. Well, you, if you don't know the word, how are you gonna do it? You wanna be accountable to get serious about your Bible. You wanna get serious, not just in knowing it, but in praying it back to the Lord. God, I need this worked out in my life. Claiming it in the face of trial and temptation. If I don't know the word of God, how can I live it? If I don't know right, how can I do right? All right, parallel number two, verse six. He gives the example of the angels that sinned. Verse six, and the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. They left their proper dwelling place. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. This is why they're called wandering stars in Jude 13. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So these are the angels that followed Lucifer in his rebellion against God. And and uh, I came across this this last week and I thought it was, it was so succinct and it was just such an elegant description of, of what the spiritual battle really looks like. I just copied the whole thing and put it in your notes. Do you have that, a kind of a highlighted section there from John Phillips? And he just briefly explains it this way. Angelic beings associated with the fall of Lucifer shared in his principality over planet Earth. For Satan appears to have taken an early interest in our planet. Some scholars think that the chaotic conditions described in Genesis 1-2 resulted from satanic activity. 
and then he gives the proof for that view, and we taught that when we went through Genesis in our studies. The earth was, in other words, the word became, the word was without form and void. Uh, the Hebrew there is it, 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 it was tohu vabohu. Well, God didn't create it tohu. He said that in Isaiah 45, 18. He created it to be inhabited, but it became tohu. And so he gives the cross references for that. So in the, you know, fast forward, you get to the fall of Adam. Adam, he buys into the rebellion and he sins against God. So Satan rests from Adam, his principality over the earth. That lordship, sovereignty, and headship was Adam's by right of creation. But once he had seized Adam's sovereignty over this planet, Satan places his own angel princes over the various developing nations of the earth. Those angelic princes rule over their prospective nations from the spirit world. And you can read about that in Daniel chapter 10. It is against these angelic powers that we wrestle when we pray. Ephesians 6. But the Lord, the second man, overcame them at Calvary. Colossians chapter 2. He did for us, in fact, what Boaz did, Boaz did for Ruth in type. Redeemed both our persons and our property. So the angelic principalities, these celestial beings, these angels who are following Lucifer, they remain active over human affairs in the heavenlies and will continue to do so to the end when they will be deposed by Michael and his angels, Revelation 12. Okay, look at, look at 2 Peter chapter 2. Okay, Peter, in his account, he's, he's explaining the exact same thing that Jude is explaining. And he shows how they wandered from their own habitation. And watch how he parallels, Peter parallels false teachers with rebellion in the angelic ranks. Second Peter 2 verse one, same warning. There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who shall privately bring in damnable heresies. They're bringing, they're, they're bringing in teaching that's corrupting proper, correct doctrine, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. They're gonna, they're gonna teach in such a way so that you will abuse the grace of God and turn it to lasciviousness. Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not this, this damnation is coming. Their damnation slumbereth not. And so the example he gives is the same one that Jude gives. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And to make sure that you knew what he was talking about, look at verse, verse five. He tells you it was during this time, right? The offense occurred in Genesis chapter six and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, the preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So when the angels sinned, when did they sin? How did they sin? Peter says it was in Genesis chapter six. Both Jude and Peter are making sure that you see that false teachers are no different. He wants you to view them in the exact same light as rebellious angels. See, in Genesis chapter six and verse one, the Bible says it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth 
and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And God's people said, guys, okay, I'm trying to be subtle, but bro, I'm trying to help you. Okay, I make comments like that. That is a great opportunity for you to lean over and whisper in your wife's ear, amen, babe, you're beautiful, right? I just, I'm trying. (laughs) There's like, there's like, what? Four or five ugly women on the whole planet, on the entire planet. And that's just the exception to prove the rule that women, they're beautiful. Okay, angels aren't stupid, they saw that, they knew that. The problem was is that wasn't for them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. See, here's the problem. Angels were never supposed to marry or be given in marriage. You know, in Matthew 22, they, want to, they have a question about who's gonna be married to who in heaven. And Jesus gives this incredible clue. He answered and said unto them, Matthew 22, 29, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, right, they, people, neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Okay, so there it is. We just found out from Jesus himself, angels are not supposed to get married. But in Genesis 6, some did. So no wonder Job 4.18 says that God charges his angels with folly. Uh, In the uh, Enoch, book of Enoch account, um, Enoch is apocryphal, it's not scripture. It's critical that you remember that. Uh, But it is a commentary on what happened in Genesis chapter six. And so again, I thought, you know, this is the the center point, (laughs) this passage that I've, I've, I've put in your notes. It's the center point of the whole issue in the book of Enoch. Again, this is not Bible, but it is a description of Genesis chapter six. And in this account, uh, God is supposedly telling Enoch what to tell these angels that were in rebellion. So he tells Enoch, fear not Enoch, thou righteous man and scribe of righteousness, approach hither and hear my voice, and go say to the watchers of heaven. These are the angels that have a watch care over the affairs of men. Say to the watchers of heaven who have sent thee to intercede for them. Here's what you tell them. You should not intercede for men and not men for you. Wherefore have you left your first estate and fallen from your habitation? Right, there it is. Wherefore have you left the high holy and eternal heaven and lain with women and defiled yourself with the daughters of men and taken to yourselves wives and done like the children of earth and begotten giants as your sons? And though ye were holy, spiritual, living the eternal life, you have defiled yourselves with the blood of women and have begotten children with the blood of flesh. And as the children of men have lusted after flesh and blood as those who die and perish. Therefore I have given, here's why I gave man wives, he says. Therefore have I given them wives also that they might impregnate them and beget children by them that thus nothing might be wanting to them on the earth, but you, the celestial hosts, right? But you were formerly spiritual, having eternal life and immortal for all generations of the world. 
Therefore I have not appointed wives for you, for as the spiritual ones in heaven, in heaven is their dwelling, and now your children, verse eight, now the giants who are produced from the spirits and the flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. Evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies because they were born from men, and from the watchers is their beginning and primal origin. They shall be evil spirits on the earth, and evil spirits shall they be called. We actually still call them that today. As for the spirits of heaven, in heaven shall be their dwelling, but as for the spirits of earth, which were born upon the earth, on earth shall be their dwelling. And the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, work destruction on earth, and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst and cause offenses. Um, that powerful drive to satisfy the flesh, that's not coming from the spirit of Christ. It's another spirit. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against the women because they have proceeded from them. And this is the account that we actually see in Genesis chapter six. Skip on down to verse four. There were giants in the earth in those days and also, and also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Um, if you mate a horse with a horse, you get a horse. But if you mate a horse with a donkey, you get a, a mule, you get a chimera, right? You get something else. Neither horse nor donkey, it's a new thing, it's a mule. Well, you mate a human with a human, you get a, a human. If an angel mates with a woman, it produces a giant. Uh, it produces a demigod. Uh, we walked through all of that when we went through the Genesis study. The text says they had a sexual relationship and giants were the result. More than that, it gets worse. Verse five, and God saw the wickedness of man in the earth. Right, The wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He was filled with a wicked heart of unbelief. And so it repents the Lord that he made man on the earth. It grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Look down in verse 12. God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way on the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So the Bible is very clear. We know that this was a case of angels rebelling against God so that they could get lascivious in pursuing sexual sin. And we know this not just by the plain reading of Genesis chapter six, but it's also confirmed in both Peter and Jude's accounts. In the next verse here, it says they went after strange flesh. They went after sexual perversion, just like the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. See, next time, we'll look at the, per the third parallel, uh, the third example of how false believing produces destruction We'll see the, the sexual perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse seven, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. 
are set forth for an example, suffering the, the vengeance of eternal fire. And so we'll look at that next week. But don't miss, don't miss the, 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 the warning. There is a danger of leaving the place that you're supposed to dwell. And through following wrong, right, the twisting of scripture, the explaining away of the word of God, what you end up doing is you turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, and that is a path to destruction. You see it in the example of Israel, the example of uh, 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 the generation of Israel that was delivered from Egypt. You see it in the angels that sinned against God. We'll see it in the perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah. What about your life? What about my life? Next week, um, one of the things that you can do to prepare for that in your Bible reading this week, uh, see if you can work in just reading Romans chapter one and 2 Peter chapter three. Just give, give both of them a good read this next week because we're gonna be looking at that next time in, in the book of Jude. Twisted scripture, man, it leads people into perverse pursuits. Um, you know, if you can twist the scripture, then it has no power over your life. Here's the problem, that's all a lie. You may think that you've explained the word of God away, it still stands. You may think that the word of God doesn't apply to you, it still does. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think. What matters, everything that matters is what God said. Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. And Lord, I'm asking if there's any here today that have been lying to themselves, um, if it's believers that are born, truly born again, but, but practically, Lord, we're continuing in sin so that grace, you know, just knowing that grace will abound grieving the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that today would be the day where we see our sin, the sins of the flesh from your perspective, that today would be a day of repentance, a day of rededicating our lives to you. God, you bought, a, bought us with a price, and so you're worthy to be glorified in and through our lives. If there's any here today that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, Help them to see that today is the day of salvation. That today they can be delivered from their life of sin in the flesh and actually be joined to you in the spirit. To finally be set free to, 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 to be able to, once and for all, be able to tell the flesh no and, and the word of God, yes. God, you're God, we're people. Uh, most of us are your people. And so, Lord, would you have your way in our hearts for your glory and our good. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.